I am uh, ready. Perfect. So just a, uh, a shout out for Kathy as uh, I'm taking this poem from her book, uh, Love um, Breathes With Me, available at the House of James and online. So as we, as we uh, enter into this Lectio, I would uh, ask that you would just uh, breathe and um, ground yourself. And as I read uh, this poem, um, you may want to just even close your eyes this morning for the first reading and just hear what um, is coming through. <clears throat> Listen for a word or an idea, an image or a phrase that captures your attention. So let's begin. May my bones shine with the radiance of the presence of love. May my heart beat with the joy of knowing my intrinsic value. May my mind be filled with thoughts and intentions rooted in the creator's love for me. May my longings align with love's longings. May my feet be carried where they need to be. May my eyes behold beauty. May my mouth speak truth. May my hands be open and receptive to all love longs to give. May my hands offer blessing to all they touch. May I move out of love's response rather than fear's reaction. May I be energized by love. May I receive forgiveness and compassion. May I offer forgiveness and compassion. May I receive grace and mercy. May I offer grace and mercy. May I receive the gaze of love. May I become the reflection of the gaze of love. May I become the radiance of the presence of love. We'll pause for just a moment. So as I read it again, does anything shift for you? Does anything resonate with you? A word, an idea, an image, a phrase. May, I sh may my bones shine with the radiance of the presence of love. May my heart beat with the joy of knowing my intrinsic value. 
May my mind be filled <clears throat> with thoughts and intentions rooted in the Creator's love for me. May my longings align with love's longings. May my feet be carried to where I need to be. May my eyes behold beauty. May my mouth speak truth. May my hands be open and receptive to all love longs to give. May my hands offer blessing to all they touch. May I move out of love's response rather than fear's reactions. May I be energized by love. May I receive forgiveness and compassion. May I offer forgiveness and compassion. May I receive grace and mercy. May I offer grace and mercy. May I receive the gaze of love. May I become the reflection of the gaze of love. May I become the radiance of the presence of love. What is the invitation that love has for you today? Is it for yourself? Is it for your community? Is it for your neighbor? How might we live this out this week? I'll read it one more time. May my bones shine with the radiance of the presence of love. May my heart beat with the joy of knowing my intrinsic value. May my mind be filled with thoughts and intentions rooted in the creator's love for me. May my longings align with love's longings. May my feet be carried to where I need to be. May my eyes behold beauty. May my mouth speak truth. May my hands be open and receptive to all love longs to give. May my hands offer blessing to all they touch. May I move about out of love's response rather than fear's reaction. May I be energized by love. May I receive forgiveness and compassion. May I offer forgiveness and compassion. May I receive grace and mercy. May I offer grace and mercy. May I receive the gaze of love. May I become the reflection of the gaze of love. 
may I become the radiance of the presence of love. Thank you for your living word, Lord Jesus. May it lead us all to a life of constant wonder, gratitude, love, and service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, Greg. So we're going to take communion together. If you have your elements, uh, now would be a good time to grab them. This one be on screen. <laughs> Thank you. So who is invited to the Lord's table? All of us. The young, the old, the rich, the poor, the lowest and the least. All of us together in communion. So come find your place here. You are welcome. There are no strangers. There are no foreigners. We are only, we are only siblings in the sight of God. Why do we give thanks at this table? We give thanks because Jesus has showed us the way. We give thanks because Jesus is the way. Jesus was a gift from God for the world. He was called Emmanuel, God with us. He came to save us. Jesus lived a life of thankfulness. He gave his life in self-giving love for all. We give thanks that he is our savior, Christ the Lord. And why do we eat and drink at this table? We eat because on the night before Jesus died, he ate with his friends. He gave them bread and he said, this is my body that is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. At the same meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, drink this cup. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink. We remember Jesus's birth and his presence as God with us. We remember Jesus's life and his love. We remember suffering and death on the cross. We remember the resurrection and the promise of life. We remember that we are waiting in hope to see Jesus again. So let's pray. God of grace, thank you for the bread and the wine and the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. God of hope, fill us with your spirit today that we might have the wisdom to understand the mystery of this table and the depth and height and breadth and length of your love for us. Through this meal, strengthen us to be followers of Jesus, a community of peace in a broken world. Jesus, you truly are Emmanuel, God with us. In this season of hope, may the meal that we've shared together nourish us to be your body in the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. With the angels in heaven, we join in singing your praises. Glory to God in the highest. Mm -hmm. Amen. I'm going to pray for Eden. She is going to speak with us today. All right, so Eden, thank you for uh, your prep today. And uh, Jesus, I pray that you would speak through her this morning. I pray that your kingdom would come in her life and your kingdom would come in our life as we listen. Mm. Amen. Mm. 
Over to you. Amen. I was thinking I don't usually um, introduce myself and I don't know why I don't, but my name is Eden and I actually get paid to go to the bridge. It's the best gig in town. And, um, and I, I just want to say to you all again, that I really appreciate being a part of this community. I love it. And uh, I love you. And so uh, that's all for free. I thought um, since this is our first advent, because it says it right there, that I would give you a very brief history um, on how the season of Advent came about. So the word Advent means coming. And the first Advent began probably in the fourth or fifth century in Spain uh, when Christians began to use it as a time of preparation for those who wanted to be baptized. Originally, this happened in January during the season of Epiphany, and it had absolutely nothing to do with Christmas. But by the sixth century, the Roman Christians had tied Advent to the coming of Christ, but not his first coming, like his birth. Uh, it was his second coming that they had tied it to. Uh, at some point in the Middle Ages, which I know is uh, a very large target of about a thousand years, um, that focus changed um, to being the birth of Christ and leading up to Christmas. Other traditions have been added into this season, like lighting a candle for each uh, of the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. And, uh, and particular focuses have been, have been given uh, to each Sunday. So generally the focuses uh, are hope, um, preparation, joy and peace, and love. Having shared that, this year we will celebrate Advent, but we will not be following the common themes through each week. But definitely, we see the value of entering the season and preparing ourselves for our celebration of Christ's birth. We are using the book Advent Conspiracy, which has become a bit of a movement inspired a few years ago that has taken off with some significance. Its primary design is in getting folks to derail from the toxic Christmas agenda and moving toward worshiping fully, spending uh, less, giving more and loving all. If you don't have a copy of the book, uh, you can go online and there are all kinds of free resources that you can look at, including videos for kids. Um, but just do, Google, uh, what kind of a word is that? Just Google Advent Conspiracy. I love the season of Advent. There's this sweet buildup to Christmas that isn't meant to be some big hype, but rather a thoughtful anticipation that's marked, uh, that marks time with silent candles and not loud fireworks. Advent in our day and age is entirely counterculture. In our culture, ads have us believing that we can't be happy without a particular gift. 
and annoying and ridiculous songs follow us around from store to store and business to business. Our culture inundates us with a spirit of selfish desire, greed, overspending, and a schedule of events that leave us entirely exhausted. To be honest, there was a time in my life when I loved all that. All the lights and the glitter, the Christmas specials on TV, the parties and the gifts, I loved it all. But I've come to a place where I value the slowed down version of Advent, where my focus is a little steadier and my energy isn't sapped by trying to find parking spots at the mall, stressing over whether I have the right size or color or if things will arrive on time and whether or not I have enough money to pay for all of these gifts. This morning's focus is worship fully. And I've really enjoyed preparing for this talk this morning. It has been personally challenging, and I hope it challenges you too, as I'm really hoping to derail you a bit from what Christmas might have become for you. Let me ask a question. What is your dearest affection? I could put it another way. What matters the most to you? I ask because we will undoubtedly spend our time, energy, and money on what matters most to us. So I'll turn that around for you and ask it this way. What is it that consumes the greatest part of your time, energy, and finances? That will tell you what your dearest affection is. The things we desire are the things we worship. We're not likely to be singing songs to our cars or going to meetings about our wardrobes, but we may be following those desires on Instagram or Facebook. We may be spending a large portion of our budgets to fulfill our desires to be well-dressed, well-traveled, up on the latest tech, the newest phone, and making sure we have all the streaming apps. It's interesting how Advent layers through this Christmas season of conspicuous consumption. Oh, I like that, conspicuous consumption. And I think we need to look closely at what we want and desire. Now, before you all start tuning, uh, turning off your screens and tuning out, because it seems like the Grinch got on our speaking schedule, I will turn from my negativity about Christmas and become and look more to what Christmas has or could be, what it can be. I believe that beneath all the wish lists we make, our hearts truly are searching for hope, peace, love, rest, and worship. All these things are buried under the chaos of this season. Every step we take to remove ourselves from overconsumption, greed, overscheduling and overextending our budgets is a step toward what we deeply and truly desire. How do we do that? 
Is there a way that we can enter Christmas in a new and fresh way? We can certainly try. What if we enter into the Christmas story by following the characters in the story with a willingness to learn something from each of them? Most of the characters responded to their invitation to the story by moving into worship. That's interesting. Each of these characters were impacted by their introduction to a new version of God that was about to blow up long-held beliefs. Does that sound familiar? Let's just take a few minutes to meet each of the characters to see if we can learn something from their encounter with Jesus. Let's start with Mary, of course. So the likelihood of Mary getting cast in this role was really low. Mary's worship begins with the ultimate paradox. A young girl, unwed and without power, influence or wealth, cradles within her womb the divine power of the universe. The creator who spoke creation into place is taking on fingers and toes inside her belly. And the one who holds all wealth of the universe will soon nurse at her breast. Mary's yes to Gabriel's message was pure worship. And it was followed by a canticle, a song that describes God as just and merciful, a liberator, full of loving kindness. Let me read just a few lines from Luke 1. It's uh, from the message. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattered the bluffing braggarts. He knocked tyrants off their high horses, pulled victims out of the mud. The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold. He embraced his his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. So what do we learn from Mary's worship that we can use to help enter into the Advent season? How about this? That we let our worship be an outpouring of our hearts that we take God's self-revelation seriously and we begin to desire the same things that move their perfect heart? What if our worship leaked out beyond the church walls and out into the painful places that cry out for God's liberation? Mark Laverton puts it this way. According to the narrative of scripture, The very heart of how we show and distinguish true worship from false worship is apparent in how we respond to the poor, the oppressed, the neglected, and the forgotten. Justice and mercy are not add-ons to worship, nor are they consequences of worship. Jesus 
and mercy are intrinsic to God and therefore intrinsic to the worship of God. Let's chew on that while we move on to the next character we want to look at, Elizabeth. When Mary needed to find a quiet place away from prying eyes and judgment, she went to her cousin, Elizabeth's house in the hill country of Judea. There she found her much older cousin, also pregnant by another quite miraculous conception. What Mary found at Elizabeth's home was someone who believed her, who listened to her encounter and shared her own story. Elizabeth provided a safe and loving refuge for Mary, who had likely been ridiculed and questioned and rejected by everyone else. Elizabeth's worship took on the form of hospitality. Can we enter Advent with hearts open to inviting others into our midst? And if having them in our home is not possible, how can we extend hospitality to others that lets them know that they are welcome to be a part of our lives? Joseph also worshipped in this story, though some may overlook what he did and not count it as worship. He went from a model citizen to a key player in a village scandal. He was ready to discreetly break off the engagement due to this unfortunate pregnancy, though he could have done far worse. But then he has this crazy pizza dream with an angel and Joseph chooses obedience as his form of worship. Joseph gave up his reputation and rights by law to follow the call of God. Joseph set aside what others might have thought of him, his reputation, and he gave it all up. God's request for him to enter this story was beautiful, and he responded with a yes. Choosing to worship fully, spend less, give more, and use our holiday money to love our siblings around the world might have others looking at us as if we've lost our way. But Joseph shows us that setting our fears aside about what others might think and stepping courageously towards what God is calling us to do is a beautiful way to say yes to the invitation to participate in God's kingdom on earth. The shepherds also had an an angelic visitor, actually a whole bunch of them. The choice to invite the shepherds into this story is curious. Usually you want to have solid witnesses to an event, an accident, or a miracle because that's what you want, solid witnesses. But that's not the case in this narrative. God includes those in the margins, those that are seen as less than, 
and those with sketchy reputations that are invisible to most of society. And how did they react to the invitation to take part in the story? They celebrated. They celebrated the Savior's birth by running to see for themselves and then spreading this good news far and wide. Their worship took the form of dropping responsibilities in order to engage in this miracle. They went to meet this Savior. It wasn't good enough to see just angels. They moved close and established relationship. Only and only through relationship with God can we participate in a sustainable worship. Our relationships and how we treat those around us and particular, particularly those who are on the margins or seemingly invisible is an act of worship that glorifies our God like the angels did as they sang and as the shepherds experienced meeting Jesus. We'll go on to the wise men. They are another interesting addition to this cast of characters. They're quite certainly not Jewish. And yet, they have read the stars and seen the signs and have traveled great distance to come and meet the one true king. Through their travels, they have put themselves in peril, and even that pales in comparison to the peril they put themselves in when they introduced themselves to the tyrant King Herod and shared who they were looking for. The wise men finally find where Jesus is and they brought gifts. Bringing these gifts has nearly cost them their lives, but they saw something in the stars and are now confronted by this infant king. They recognize that Jesus is worthy of all honor, glory, and praise. Their worship has caused them to travel great distance to confront dominant world systems and leaders and has cost them everything. What if we worship like the wise men, moving out of our comfort zones so that we can bring gifts of our presence our labor, our money, our love to hungry, thirsty, sick people who need to experience the love of God. So this Christmas story is so beautiful because we see in it the fingerprints of God. If we care to look and linger in the story, we can see what really matters to God and how true worship can look and be sustainable. The Christmas vibe we feel every year is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God fills us with life, restores us, sees everyone, and comes in peace. The characters in this story are like threads in a tapestry of worship. And this story is still being told not just as history, but as an active, ongoing story of worship and hope and love. I'll quote from the book now in closing. 
This is a story about the radical solidarity of Jesus's worshipers who commit themselves to standing with the least of these in the far corners of the world and in the midst of injustice. A story about passionate resistance from people who refuse to be enveloped by another empire's demands and instead live simply and faithfully for their king. A story about faithful worship at the feet of a glorified and yet humble king. Like Mary, we will sing to our redeeming God. Like Elizabeth, we will open our lives and homes to others. Like Joseph, we will obey without regard to the cost. Like the shepherds, we will leave our busyness to worship Christ. Like the wise men, we will confront anything that stands in the way of our worship, from worldly empires to our own fears. We will celebrate, sing, dance, pray, meditate, and love our way into a story that is great joy for all people. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for entering this world with us, for co-suffering with us in all the ways this world beats us up, for not only coming to this world as an infant, but for being Emmanuel, God with us, your continuing presence giving us courage. We worship you in this season of Advent sidestepping the chaos to participate in your glorious kingdom and all the ways it manifests. We love you, Jesus. Amen.